We are continuing our adventure through the letter to the church in Ephesus. And we are in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 32, making our way, some would say, plotting our way through this letter. So if you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather... He must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Father, who is adequate for this? Yet I ask that your spirit to your people would teach that we may understand first and foremost our position in Christ, then that we may act upon that in the practice of Christ. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. There's something that is missing in the church in the United States. I've been, traveled around different places, but I've also traveled outside of this country. I've been in Russia and Azerbaijan and Soviet Georgia and a few other odds and ends. And one of the things that I see there that are, is amazing to me is outside of the United States, the church is central to the people. I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, is it, that is... I remember one time when I was in Russia, and it was in March, and then people got snow, man. I mean, you walk, and they've shoveled so many sidewalks, and you're walking in a trench of snow, and it is a humid cold. Okay, I mean, I don't know what the temperature was. I was smart enough not to try to locate that information. But with the humidity and the cold, it was, it was, it was terrible. And I'll never forget it. One morning, I was teaching eight hours a day for five days. And then I, in the evenings, I went around to different churches and preached. And I remember one morning, because my jet clock was non-operating, I got up in the morning, and I looked outside in the, uh, this little apartment thing I was staying in, and the fellowship hall was all lit up. And I was like, what the... So I threw some clothes on, grabbed my coat, 
And I run across to see what was going on. And I got over there, and Misha, my uh, interpreter, was there. And I said, Misha, what is going on? And this thing was packed with kids. Okay, it's like 4 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so they got to be getting ready to go on a trip, right? And he said, no, what is happening is the junior high kids are teaching the middle school kids the book of Galatians. And when they get done, the senior high kids will bring them up to date where they are in the book of Galatians, and then they'll all go to school. And there was probably 150 kids there. And I was just sitting there going, you should bring your youth group. Ain't no way. We'd run you. (laughs) But I saw that and I thought, what is this? Then that Sunday, it was cold. I mean, it was, and it was snowing. And I mean, it was, it was awful. So I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm supposed to preach. And so I'm kind of going through my head. I keep looking out the window. There's nobody in the parking lot. There is nobody walking. There's nothing going on. I was like, well, I am, you know, why don't you just bring me some that sausage and bread and we'll hang out. I go over there. The wind is blowing. And I mean, it just cuts you. And I go into the church. It's standing room only. And I'm sitting there going, there ain't no cars in the parking lot. So I go up to Valeri and I said, brother, how did all these people get here? He says, they walk. They walk. And I sit there and go, man. He says, but it's the body of Christ, is it not, brother? I said, yeah. That's what this letter is, brothers and sisters. This letter, Ephesians, gives you three chapters of who you are in Christ, in the body of Christ, which is what you and I call the church. The church. And I I just think about it, and I was like, wow. And so as I keep reading this, and those of you who know me know that when I teach a book, I read it every day, and I've been reading this book every day for Sometimes, sometime. And I just keep longing for it. Lord, your word says it's here. But see, it's like I shared with you. We know what we're supposed to do. But we don't know why. Nor do we understand the power source that we have to do it. We are new creations. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. We have been united with Christ in oneness. And when we start grabbing a hold of all of that, you know what they call that? We really don't like it. Theology. Once you start grabbing a hold of your theology, then what your actions do It's based on your theology. I was told years ago that you will live your life according to the size of your God. My God, the water's fit in the hollow of his hand, and the span of his hand is creation. He knows when the sparrow falls, and he knows how many hairs are on Nate's head. 
it, it, it does, doesn't take him that long to count them. That's my God. Okay? So when I look at this book, I see the body of Christ, but I see the unity that is there in the person of Christ. So what we started moving into there in chapter 4, Paul says, I implore you, verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Look like Christ. Walk in that manner. Then we moved on down, verse 22, and he says, a reference to your former manner of life, put aside the old self. Get rid of it. Verse 24, he says, put on the new self. Get rid of the old. Now listen, I understand this. Okay? The old self is comfortable. I'm used to him. Okay? And you know, up until the point of my salvation, he had managed to get me from point A to point B, sort of. And I was comfortable with the old self. But he says, now I want you to put on the new self. Okay, so that's a very general phrase that the apostle has given us. And then he gets specific. Now from verse 25 to the end of the book, he starts getting specific, specific, specific. Little bitty things. All right, first thing. Get away from the lying and start speaking truth. And I shared with you guys... And if you don't believe me, go back and play the news headlines this last week. This globe is based on lies. Everything in your existence is based on a foundation of lies. That is what our nature is. If you've ever had kids, who teaches your children to lie? And yet they all do it. Because that is our nature. That is what our society is about. And he says, and then in verse 26 and 27, move from unrighteous anger to righteous, gracious forgiveness. And I shared with you, the only time Jesus ever got angry was when? When they shamed his father. When they beat him, he didn't get angry. When they hung him on a cross, he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When they mocked him, he didn't get angry. When they plotted against him, he didn't get angry. But I tell you what, you defame his father's house, Katie barred the door. And yet, every one of us at multiple times has gotten angry because you have offended me. But you're a new creation. You know what that means? You don't do that anymore. You're supposed to move from stealing to sharing. Why do you work? Why do you have a job? This says it's so that you can share with those who are in need. Well, but well, I'm just telling you what it said. If you don't like that, just take it up with the author. Why? Because we're looking at what is the dynamic of the unity that is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You, I, I love history. You guys know that's a fatal flaw of mine. I, I think history is awesome. But one of the things I've always seen in history, whether I go back to the Egyptian Empire, whether I go back to the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Persian Empire, the Chinese Empire, I don't care which one it is, they all profess unity. And if you do not unite with us, we'll kill you. There's unity. I mean, yes, sir. I'm in. You got the guns. You got the swords. You got the arrows. But yet the body of Christ says we have unity in the single person of Jesus Christ. And we have the power of that unity and the power of his Holy Spirit indwelling each of his people. It's already there. That's why we move from stealing to sharing. And then last week, a few comments were made about that one. It was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> move from rotten words to edifying words. In uh, New American Standard that I've got right here, it says unwholesome. The original language says it is corrupt and or rotten. So if you get a piece of rotten whatever, you don't really feel like touching it, do you? let alone eating it, right? Everybody's, yeah. We all have that one thing that we remember that was rotten, and you're like, ooh. I remember I hit a skunk one time in my car, and it got stuck up in the motor mount, so I hosed it out. I didn't know it was in the motor mount, and for like two weeks, that sucker just kept getting riper and riper, and I kept thinking, what is wrong with this? The skunk is dead, and he's haunting me. I pulled open the hood and said, look, black and white fuzz in the motor mount. <laughs> okay. So then you start thinking, okay, what do you do with that? And from that point on, I understood what whoa, rotten was. But it's, if you think about it, out of the abundance of the heart, our Lord Jesus said, what? Speaks. Speaks, And I shared with you last week, we need to put him as the doorkeeper of our lips, like the psalmist tells us. Uh, my secretary told me this a long time ago, Terry, not everything that goes through your head needs to come out your mouth. And then I'm still learning. Okay, but I, I share that because if we're a new creation, which means we have a new heart, should not our conversation reflect it? Right? I mean, I can look around at a lot of things and complain about an awful lot of things. But the truth of the matter is, does that edify anybody? Have you ever noticed if you get into a group of people who are complaining what you walk away doing? And that, have you ever asked yourself as you look around, is there any complaining going on in our world? Is there any rotten, putrefied speech in our world? We need to move away from that. I gave you uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 22, speaking of Jesus talking to us talking to a large group. And he said his words were comforting and gracious. This text says that when I speak, my words should be that that edify. 
do what I'm going to say to this person, will it strengthen them? Think about that conversation. How easy is it for me to cut you with my words? I mean, I have this uh, saying that I've had for gosh, I don't know how long. And I was convicted reading this text and studying it. I used to make this statement. I'm not going to do it anymore. Does your, did your mother have any children that lived? Okay, because sometimes you would talk to people and think, Ugh. And yet I thought, how edifying is that? Now, in some cases, some of the people I talk to, they don't know what I was even saying. But that's not appropriate. And yet it's little things like that that put people down. Then he made the statement there in in the text. According to the need of the moment. (laughs) I have told people this over and over. I used to do a run a a high tower course, climbing course down in Monument. And I kept preparing these kids for what they're getting ready to do. And I keep telling them over and over and over. You have two eyes. You have two ears. You have one mouth. There's something you should be doing twice as much of. Okay. And um, that never worked. (laughs) But the idea was there. Is it necessary? You know, have you ever read the book of Job? I mean, take the first two chapters, the last two chapters, and just pitch the middle. You know what the middle is? His friends, his best buds, okay, could not stand it anymore and had to speak. And you just sit there and you read it and you're like, I think I know these people. Because there's these people that they sit there and it builds up, it builds up, and I've got to say something. No matter how stupid it is, they had something they had to say. So ask yourself a question. Is what I'm going to say going to strengthen them? Is what I'm going to say necessary? And the last thing we shared was, is it full of grace? full of grace okay all of these that I just went through have a result that you see there in verse 30 do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption you know that word grieve I listen I I know a lot of people they think that it's it's sort of like at a funeral or something like that actually the basic word in the original language is sad. Now, how many of you ever just sat down and thought that the Holy Spirit can be sad? I mean, when I first read it in the original text, I was sitting there going, sad? Well, that, I don't, Holy Spirit is sad? Well, in Jeremiah... God weeps in such a way that Jeremiah says, my eyes shall run with tears. In the book of Hosea, 
God's heart is broken. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Lazarus' grave. So, here we have the Holy Spirit of God sad. Sad. So, what makes him grieve? If I'm going to make the Holy Spirit sad, then I can look back to verse 22, and it says, Put off that old. Verse 24 says, Put on the new. But look what it says in verse 23. Interesting, isn't it? And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know what that is? Renewing your mind daily. Take it back to Romans chapter 12. Why? So you're not conformed into this world. You know, I watched this thing with this corona. I watched this thing. And I think about the Christians. I've been on multiple conference calls this week uh, with all kinds of pastors. And it became heartbreaking to me because they're not renewing their mind or what they're renewing it with. They're either not believing or they haven't read. And my problem is that's leadership. If I take the average Christian, okay, maybe you don't know. But if you say, I will speak forth for the Lord, I would really hope you would know. And it says, I have to renew the spirit of my mind. That is putting off the old self, the old Terry. When I had a problem, I knew how to deal with it. And it was never godly. But the new Terry is different. That's how I tell people. I said, I had a friend of mine that I kind of miss. He's in glory. Turkey left me here. Uh, I actually knew him longer than I knew my wife. And we used to meet at my house. And he said, how can you know you are saved? And uh, we we run rough. Is I'll just leave it at that. And I said, well, you know, spirit bears witness with ours. He says, I've read that. I said, but how do I know? I just looked at him and I said, Ed, tell me your nature hasn't changed. He says, you know what? I never thought about that. He says, it has. That's the new creation, brothers and sisters. That's why I guard my mouth. That's why I don't steal anymore. I work to give it away. That's why I don't lie anymore. I speak truth. Why? I don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. When we as believers don't exchange that old man... Guess what? Your mouth tells me. When your old man is working, 
I hear it. And every believer in Jesus Christ hears it. And we know it. Voltar, the philosopher, says, I would be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. Would you show me a redeemed life? There's times I wonder that myself. See, the Holy Spirit can see you when you're stealing instead of sharing. He hears your corruptive, putrefied speech instead of the edifying speech of grace. See, that's the point of verse 30. Point of verse 30. Are you edifying? Does your mouth reveal the true nature? How could you possibly Grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. You know, he is taking part in every aspect of your thinking process, your working process, your heart process, your walking process, your physical process until the day you receive a glorified body. He is intimately involved with every believer. See, months ago, we looked at this ceiling early in this letter. What I see in the evangelical church in America today, we don't understand that privilege. We kind of, I know that if you get on some of the fundamentalist people, they don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit because the charismatics blame the Holy Spirit for everything. So I just won't talk about the Holy Spirit and... And yet, if you think about the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which one is more involved in your day-to-day, moment-by-moment life? Holy Spirit. So, question. Why, Why would I grieve Him? Why would I want to make Him sad? When you were saved, the Spirit of God put a stamp on you. And that stamp says, this is God's property. This is genuine. This is authentic. And this is mine forever. Because he has the stamp of my spirit. If the spirit of God has been that gracious as to give you eternal salvation... If he has been so gracious to seal you forever and ever, if he has been so gracious that the Spirit of God has hold of you in the palm of his hand until the very day of redemption, when you're in the presence of God the Father and God the Son and the saints and the holy angels, How could you willfully grieve such a gracious spirit? You ever done that? Years and years and years and years and years ago, decades ago, I know of a person who was up to his eyeballs and as much illegal as he could do. And he decided that he was going to get involved in this situation. And there was a lot of uh, contraband being negotiated. And he was supposed to be security. And 
he was standing in a hotel room. There was a group of people that were the buyers, and there was a group of people that were the sellers. And he was standing there acting all cool. And somebody stuck a gun up to the side of his head and said, Don't breathe. Okay? Now, the guy says that uh, he thought if it was a ripoff, then they'll find my carcass in the dumpster somewhere. It wasn't. It was DEA. You know what the first thought that went through his head? What's my mom going to think? How weird is that? I mean, he'd been running wild. And then all of a sudden, oh, mom's going to be proud of her oldest, huh? Whenever I think about grieving the Holy Spirit, that's what I think of. The Holy Spirit always knows. He knows before you do it. Why would I want to do something to make him sad? Why would I want to say something to tear somebody down knowing that the Holy Spirit would be grieved? Why would I want to steal instead of share knowing that the Holy Spirit would be grieved? Hmm. What Paul is telling you and me is how could we do that? How could we grieve the Holy Spirit by which you have been sealed, stamped by the Spirit of the living God as His possession? You know your salvation is forever. I hope. Okay? You know what He has done for you can never be changed. You know He has given you an eternal gift. Now, would you abuse it by making him sad, by grieving him? How could we do do that? How could we grieve the very one who has made your body the sanctuary of his holy presence? You and I are the temple of the living God. Why would I want to grieve him? He is the one who has done the miraculous work of setting you apart eternally to a holy God. And it's only eternal. How could we grieve him? How could the new man grieve him? So, we don't. And we do it first by putting off lying and we speak the truth. Okay? We have to put off unrighteous anger for holy anger. We have to put off stealing so we can work to share. We have to put off useless, corrupt speech for edifying, gracious words. Because we don't want to give a place to the devil. Nor do we want to make the Holy Spirit sad. 
when you think about what he's done for you, what he is still doing for you, why would you want to make him sad? Um, in Hebrews, it talks about the elders who rule over you. Don't cause them to be discouraged. Don't cause them to be sad. Don't cause them, you know, let them take joy in what they're doing. And yet I know how people are. And uh, I think if you've made the shepherd sad, what have you done to the Holy Spirit? It's an interesting concept if you think about it. Not that I'm trying to say, hey, don't make me sad. I got the red phones of the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. I go back to my illustrations of the church that I've seen out of this country. And there's a unity. A mind-boggling unity. You're a new creation. Okay? And I shared with you when we were going through that text in chapter 2. It's not like anything ever before. Just put off the old. Listen, I know the old is comfortable. Please. The biggest fights I have in my house is when my wife throws away my comfortable stuff. Well, I'll get you new socks. Those were comfortable. Okay? I know what I know what I mean. I know what I'm talking about. About comfortable. I've got this old motorcycle jacket that I have had since when you had to pedal motorcycles, and it's it's got the fringy things that hang off of it. I mean, it's you know, it's it's easy rider looking stuff. But I've already threatened her. You throw that away. <laughs> but. The truth of the matter is, I'm not brave enough to try to put it on. It, it, it my my boundaries may have been expanded <laughs> that I that it, it don't fit me no more. Well, I'll probably go check that out this afternoon. But I want you to think about it. When you think about the words that come out of your mouth, do they grieve the Holy Spirit? Is the attitudes of your hearts to steal or to share? What is, what is, are you comfortable lying? Oh, it was just a little white one. Okay, that means you bought the lie. Listen, brothers and sisters, as a child of God, you're a new creation. Your very nature has changed. And we each need to get to the point that my theology is so confident that the old man makes me uncomfortable because I don't want to grieve the spirit of the living God. Next week we'll look at vices to virtue. Listen, brothers and sisters, I told you we were going to get in this and that the chapters, the last three chapters are going to be brutal. But I had some people that I spoke with this week with last week's message, and I took them back to chapters 1, 2, and 3. I said, read these, and then this clears up. My comfort is in my position in Christ. 
I challenge all of you to that. Let's pray. My King, my Lord, my Savior, thank you so much. Um, You are an awesome God. You are beyond my understanding. Your ways are not my ways. Uh, Your plans are not my plans. And there are times (laughs) I am not sure of your plans for me. Father, you have brought me this far. I pray for my brothers and sisters who hear this, that they understand that you have carried each of us in the spirit of the living God this far, and we have been sealed eternally. Help us remain steadfast, walking worthy, putting off the old, and covering ourselves in the new. In Christ's name, amen. 